And this is the Convict Australia podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This episode is not for the faint-hearted. It's all about secondary punishments that were commonly administered to convict men. Some examples of secondary punishments were flogging, solitary confinement, less rations, no tobacco, leg irons, time spent on the treadmill, banishment to penal settlements, and being assigned to undesirable jobs such as breaking rocks or being sent to the coal mines or lime burners camp. A convict could not just be punished at the whim of whoever they were assigned to. Someone in a higher authority, such as a superintendent or a magistrate, determined the punishments. A convict could be punished for something quite minor, like drunkenness, running away, pretending to be sick to get out of work, speaking to an overseer in an insolent manner, that kind of thing. So today I'll talk about some of the more common punishments for men, starting with one of the most well-known. Flogging with the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was a slang term for a whip. It consisted of a wooden handle and usually nine lengths of rope. It was used extensively in the 18th and 19th century, not just on convicts, but in the British Army and the Royal Navy too. This was not a punishment that a superintendent could issue. It had to be approved by someone in a higher position, such as a magistrate. There was usually a dedicated space for the floggings to occur. At the Hyde Park Barracks, for example, convicts were forced out to the flogging yard, which was along the eastern wall. It was there that a wooden structure, like a giant tripod, called the triangle, was located. The convicts' hands were fastened to two of the posts while the lashes were carried out. The other convicts were forced to watch in the hope that it would act as a deterrent. Along with the offender, there would be a medical officer who could put a stop to the punishment if he thought that continuing would cause death or serious injury. There was also clerical staff to record how many lashes were issued. At the barracks, there was a superintendent called Ernest Augustus Slade who worked there between 1833 and 1834. He reported to the Select Committee on Transportation that floggings were not sufficiently harsh and to remedy this situation, he created his own cat, putting six knots in each length of rope and boasted that he had created a cat that if administered under his supervision, never failed to break the skin in four lashes. The following excerpt shows the meticulous detail Slade made in these floggings. Calvin Simpson, America, stealing a pair of shoes, 50 lashes, blood flowed at the 4th. The convict cried out at the 18th and continued crying for a few succeeding lashes. His skin was considerably torn and blood flowed during the whole of the punishment. This man groaned much and prayed while suffering his sentence and afterwards declared seriously that he would never come again. I am of opinion that he was sufficiently punished at the 25th lash, and I felt convinced that he suffered so severely as to become henceforth 
more careful in subjecting himself to the infliction of punishment in Hyde Park barracks under my superintendence. Thankfully, Slade's appointment came to an end after his scandalous living arrangements were publicly exposed. A story for a later episode. Also present was the person who inflicted the lashings. He was known as the flagellator or scourger and was usually a convict. Now you may think, why would any convict want to be a flagellator? Wouldn't he be hated by the other convicts? Well, there were some perks for the flagellator. A flagellator was paid three shillings and six pence a day. They could also be bribed by the convicts to lay the lash lightly. They were housed in a different section to the other convicts for their safety. A flagellator had to be fit enough to inflict the lashings. It wasn't an easy job and would have affected their mental health, no doubt. After the flogging, the only thing they could administer for the wounds to heal was salt water. You can imagine the agony they would have felt to have salt water splashed over their open wounds, but it really helped with the healing process. Although a medical officer was usually present, a severe whipping could cause major physical damage. However, this wasn't their intention. The authorities wanted to teach the offender a lesson, but they also wanted them to be able to get straight back to work as quickly as possible. For severe whippings, the convict was given a few days off duty to recover if they were lucky. Convicts were left with severe scarring and were sometimes said to be wearing the checkered vest as the crisscross nature of the wounds left a pattern on their back. The most common sentence was 25 to 50 lashes, but some convicts were sentenced to hundreds of lashes and these were performed over several days. Flogging wasn't just a punishment reserved for the male convicts. Up until 1817, female convicts experienced the lash too. Lieutenant Ralph Clark, a British officer in the Royal Marines, remarked in his journals on Monday the 6th of June 1791 at Norfolk Island, Elizabeth Pipkin, to receive 25 lashes for disobedience of order for coming into town without leave. She only could receive six as she fainted away. Children could also be sentenced to lashings. They usually only got between 12 and 36 lashes, and these were administered on their breech, not their back. John Dwyer, who is one of the convicts that feature in my book, Convict Sydney, The Real-Life Stories of 32 Prisoners, he was only nine years of age when he arrived in the colony. He was assigned to Carter's Barracks in Sydney, he wasn't even a year into his stay when he was sentenced to 12 lashes on the 3rd of April 1833 for running away. Over the course of just two months, John was lashed on four separate occasions and after each time he ran away. Sometimes it was only a matter of a few days since the last lot of lashes before he was whipped again. It must have been excruciatingly painful as his wounds would not have had time to heal before the next lot were administered. Clearly a testament to how pitiful his existence was at Carter's barracks and his desperation to get away from there. In the end, 
the authorities realised flogging him was having no effect, so they sentenced him to 11 days in solitary confinement, where he received only bread and water. Men continued to be flogged right up to 1958, then it went out of favour as a punishment. However, it wasn't officially abolished until much later, in the 70s and 80s, depending which state you were in. Another common form of punishment back then was time spent on the treadmill. A treadmill was like a giant mouse wheel that was powered by convict men treading on the outside. They would hold on to a beam as they climbed a never-ending staircase. There were several treadmills in use around Australia and they varied in size. For example, there was one in Launceston, one in Brisbane and two in Sydney. The one near Carter's Barracks, where Central Station stands today, was large enough to fit 36 men side by side. The treadmill was a difficult and scary punishment, as the prisoners had to keep in time and the wheel moved quite fast. It rotated about twice a minute. On each treadmill, there was a routine. For example, on one treadmill, convicts had to tread for 20 minutes, and then they would be given a 20-minute break. This would continue all day long. It was an extremely monotonous task, but one where you had to try to keep focused, as if you didn't keep in time, you could miss your step and fall into the mechanics of the wheel, facing possible death. One convict reached his arm in to retrieve a coin and was unaware that the men on the other side were about to start treading, He was pulled into the wheel and his head was crushed. He died instantly. Convicts would be weighed before and after their time on the treadmill to monitor their health. The treadmill wasn't just used for punishing convicts. It was also used for grinding grain. As well as producing food for the stores, the government was able to earn revenue by charging local farmers a fee to have their grain ground. Solitary confinement was also widely used as a secondary punishment. Convicts who were caught in a state of drunkenness often found themselves there. Convicts were put into a very small cell with no windows and therefore no light coming in. In winter, it was bitterly cold and could be stifling hot in summer. During their stay, they were not given their usual rations. They received only bread and water. A convict could be put in a cell for days, weeks or even months. Some convicts really feared the combination of living without proper food, the darkness and the isolation. After their stint in solitary confinement, convicts came out blinded by the light and feeling disorientated, having lost all sense of time. Many went quite mad. Repeat offenders, or convicts that had attempted to run away, were often sentenced to wear leg irons as their punishment. Leg irons were heavy, a standard set weighed about 2 to 3 kilograms, but some weighed up to 18 kilograms. They were also cumbersome and made loud, clinking sounds as they moved. They rubbed at the ankles, taking the skin off, making it extremely painful to move about. However, convicts adapted to leg irons as best they could. 
Some were lucky to be permitted to make leather cuffs to wear underneath them, which protected their ankles. They also found that tying a rope to the middle link of the chain that ran between each ankle and tying that rope to their waist enabled them to lift the chain so that it wasn't dragging along the ground and tripping them up. Getting them on and off was difficult. The leg iron was secured around the ankle with a rivet. A blacksmith placed the rivet into the core of a fire until it was red hot. Then he hammered the piping hot rivet into the hole of the leg iron. When it was time to have the leg irons removed, the blacksmith would strike off the irons with a cold chisel. Can you imagine sticking your leg out and hoping that the blacksmith didn't miss and smash your ankle or burn it with the burning hot rivet? With the leg irons in place, convicts needed a way to change pants, so they gave them a punishment suit to wear called the magpie. The magpie was a bright yellow and black suit that had the broad arrow on them. The beauty of the magpie was that it had buttons down the side of each leg, which allowed the convict to slip in and out of them whilst wearing leg irons. Being bright yellow too made it easier for overseers to see them and even harder for convicts to run away. Convicts who were sentenced to wearing leg irons were often assigned to work gangs. This could mean working away from town doing gruelling work like felling trees, building roads, bridges and the like. You could be sentenced to wearing leg irons for a few months or a few years. The worst offenders were often banished to another settlement. Some of these places included Norfolk Island, Cockatoo Island, Newcastle, Port Macquarie, Port Arthur, Moreton Bay and Maria Island, just to name a few. Treatment of convicts was harsher at these places and they soon developed a reputation that was hoped to scare the convicts into behaving to avoid such places. At these settlements they were given back-breaking tasks such as quarrying stone or coal and often had to work in heavy irons. Escape was thought to be near impossible, particularly from the islands. Frederick Ward, better known as Captain Thunderbolt, was a rare exception. In 1863, he escaped Cockatoo Island by swimming to the mainland. Once ashore, he hot-footed it into the bush. Punishments were extremely harsh in those days and were subject to reform over the years until most finally fell out of fashion in Australia altogether. The authorities felt that discipline was necessary, but their goal was to keep the convicts productive. Ultimately, they wanted convicts to work, and that's why, along with the threat of these terrible punishments, they also tried to incentivise them by giving them the opportunity to earn rewards. Rewards came in many forms. Well-behaved, hard-working convicts might be rewarded with extra rations, tobacco and favourable treatment. A convict might be given free time outside the barracks after work and allowed to work for oneself during that time if they chose. Married men with families living back home could apply to have their wives and children sent out. Married men could also live in their own private lodgings with their families. Well-behaved convicts were given positions of trust, such as police officers, gatekeepers and messengers. 
The ticket of leave and pardons were highly sought after rewards, and I will talk about them in depth in a future episode. If you'd like to see some pictures of the various punishments that I've discussed today, please head to the Convict Australia Instagram page. There is a link to the Instagram page and a list of books for further reading on the subject in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Convict Australia podcast. If you'd like to show your appreciation and get more involved, there are a number of ways you can. The first is by signing up to Convict Australia on Patreon and you will get some perks like the Convict Australia newsletter. Secondly, leave a review and tell your friends and family. This really does make a huge difference. And lastly, join the Facebook and Instagram group Convict Australia. All the links I've mentioned will be in the show notes. Thank you again. Till next time.